Amen. Colossians chapter 2. As we find ourselves in God's Word, let me ask you, as believers in the Lord Jesus Christ, are we awake or are we asleep? As we think about our church, the Lord's given us a 190-year history. Are we awake or are we asleep? Holy Spirit's been working in my life over the last number of days, and I find myself asking a few questions that I normally don't think about, but for example, over the last number of days, I've been thinking about, Lord, what am I doing that's making an eternal difference that someone outside of Christ could simply could not do? So what am I doing that's making an eternal difference because I don't want to waste life, don't want to waste days? And then I find myself asking this question about our church. When is the last time as a church that we've been able to see something happen in our church family and fellowship that we had to pause and we had to say the only explanation for that is that the Lord God did that. We didn't do it. We got to be a part of it. We got to see the movement of God. But the only explanation is that God did that. Thinking through that, October the 24th, we'll celebrate 190 years of gospel ministry. And also that day, we're seeking to retire the total indebtedness of our church family. And as we celebrate 190 years of the faithfulness of God to us, but also as we seek to retire the debt, as God allows that to happen in our church, it is his faithfulness, but I believe that day we'll have to stop and say, we got to be a part of it, but only God could have done that. He'll get the glory for that. But are we awake or are we asleep? As I think about this message out of Colossians 2, again, there's a lot of insights to that, but uh, years ago there was a book came out called The Da Vinci Code. Dan Brown wrote this book, over 80 million copies were sold. And in the book, it was said, if you read this book and you study it, or you even watch the movie of it, you're going to gain insights about the life of Jesus that are simply not found in the Bible. And they went on to say, as you dig into this book, you're also going to gain insights about the spiritual life that you're not going to find in the Bible. And as you think about the Da Vinci Code, that is so relational to what Paul is dealing with false teachers, Gnostics, in the church at Colossae, because they were saying, again, we're going to give you information. We've got teachings about the life of Jesus and the spiritual life you're not going to get anywhere else. And so if you follow us, your eyes are going to be open. You're going to be able to see more about Jesus and the spiritual life than you've ever seen before. The Da Vinci Code made that same promise. Uh, I was in Orlando years ago attending a church conference. Church conference on revitalization there with a group of team members. And, and so I was sitting in the sanctuary, the worship center that morning, and looking up at the screens trying to sing the worship songs. And I thought, I can't believe how poorly they put these screens together, the words. I mean, just couldn't hardly read them. And so I thought, you know, leaders, again, pay attention to details. And I thought, surely they would pay more attention to details than that. And so we had a break, and I said something to our team. I said, you've got to realize, in leadership, leaders pay attention to details. And one of the things that we've been able to see this morning is they didn't do a good job with the words on the screen. You can hardly read them. And the team members looked at me and said, what's the problem? It must be you because they look great from our perspective. And I realized, well, the ministry team really did do a good job. I was the one who had the problem. So I went to the eye doctor and said, I'm having a difficult time seeing far away, see really good up close. He said, what you need is progressive lens. They'll change your life. He put me in some progressive lens, so now I can see up close and far away. The issue wasn't with the screens. The issue was with my vision. It opened my eyes to say I needed help. 
Well, here's the good news. Not the Da Vinci Code by any means, but I encourage you and me to open the Word of God to the book of Colossians because if we're going to have our eyes opened, here's what we need is the Word of God and the leadership of the Holy Spirit to understand the truths of Scripture. So, Colossians chapter 2. I had a professor a number of years ago who was teaching. He was teaching a class on evangelism and I appreciate his heart and his spirit. He was talking about a Saturday morning in his life, and he was actually preparing some on his sermon for Sunday. He was a pastor, professor, but also a preacher. So he was preparing his message on Saturday. There was a knock on his door. He goes to the door, and there were two guys standing there at the door wearing blue suits, white shirts, and ties. And he engages them in a conversation because they wanted to talk about spiritual issues. He was interested in doing that too. So he's listening to them for a while. And then finally these two guys realize we're talking to a Southern Baptist pastor, preacher, and professor. And one of the young guys made this statement which interested my professor. He, the young guy said this, we love Southern Baptists. And my professor said, now, you're going to have to explain that statement a little bit. Why do you love Southern Baptists? And here's what the young guy, blue suit, white shirt, tie, here's what he said. We love Southern Baptists because Southern Baptists have a great love for the Bible. The only problem is they just don't know what it says. That's very convicting, folks. As you and I think about what Paul is doing in Colossians 2, as we think about this world in which we live, the Da Vinci Code, Jesus Papers, other resources out there as well, we need to know the Word of God. In fact, when it comes to the Bible, Almighty God wants us to believe the Bible, He wants us to know the Bible, and He wants us to live the Bible. That's His desire for us. And so we need to know something about, again, the Word of God so that when we get into all these other messages that are coming against us, kids, students, adults, then we know the truth of God so well that we can say, my eyes are open to Jesus and to the Word of God because here's the truth of Scripture. Well, walk with me through this as I want you to look at your outline. We're going to take a, a large section of Scripture here and prayerfully be faithful to God's Word and make it relevant to our lives today. But number one, the Christian life isn't about casual commitment. As I think about why many marriages are struggling in life, I, I look back and I say this. It's going to be difficult to have a healthy, wonderful, Christ-centered marriage if you're casually committed to one another in marriage. Just hard to do. I look around and say, why are so many churches struggling? They're, they're either plateaued or declining or they're dying. Why is that the case? It's hard for a church to be healthy, strong, and moving forward when so many members in the church are casually committed to the church. And as I think about our church, we've got needs right now in preschool kids and students. We need more people to step up and serve and say, God, use me. Understand, there are qualifications and requirements to do that, something that we're wise to do in our day and age. But we need people who are willing to step up and serve in these areas of ministry so that we can invest in the next generation to know Jesus, but also know his word. But many churches are not effective because of casual commitment. And then why are so many believers today not living the abundant life that Jesus promised in John chapter 10? It is difficult to live the abundant life of Christ when you're casually committed to him. 
Uh, I'll meet with him when I can. I'll read the Bible when I can. We'll attend church when we can. As long as we're in town, not out of town. It's difficult to experience the fullness of God if we're casually committed. But the good news is the Christian life isn't about casual commitment. Paul writing to the believers at Colossae, he just says there in verse 6, Therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, walk in him. Uh, We know some titles about Jesus. Yes, he's our Savior. He's our best friend. But Paul says here, Jesus Christ the Lord. Let me ask you, is Jesus the Lord of your life? You say, well, how will I know if he's the Lord of my life or not? Let me give you some insights, not only outline, but if he's the Lord of your life, here's what's going to happen. If Jesus Christ is the Lord of your life, he's the one in control of your life. You're not calling the shots. Jesus is calling the shots. He's giving you direction in life. He's in control of your life. When Jesus is Lord of your life, matter whatever age you are as a believer, when Jesus is Lord of your life, please understand he's going to influence every area of your life. He's going to influence your marriage, your family, your career your relationships, your entertainment choices, even the way you handle finances. When Jesus is Lord of your life, everything is influenced by him. When Jesus is Lord of your life, this book, the Bible, is not going to collect dust somewhere for you. When Jesus is Lord of your life, you're going to read the Bible, study the Bible, meditate on the Bible, memorize the Bible, live out God's word when he's the Lord of your life. You can't live apart from this book. When Jesus is Lord of your life, you're going to follow his leadership. Your yes is going to be on the table. Lord, whatever you ask me to do, whatever you ask me to surrender and to give up, whatever you ask me to give, I'm going to do that because you are the Lord of my life. And when Jesus is Lord of your life, also understand, you don't try to fit him into your schedule. You allow, your schedule revolves around your relationship with him. And so Paul's saying to these believers, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him. Let me ask you again, is Jesus the Lord of your life? As you walk through this, look at these three things here. Number one, a grounded life gives stability. Paul makes it very clear here. He's using agriculture and architectural terms. He says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. He's, he's talking about a deep life, somebody who's walking faithful to Jesus, somebody who is rooted, who's built up, who's established. See, the question comes up is, in the Christian life, are you and I like tumbleweed or an oak tree? Uh, many of you have been out in the deserts in our, in, our, in our nation somewhere, and you're able to see the wind blowing, and you see tumbleweed tossing around. It has no roots. It can go anywhere. But how many of us are like tumbleweed or an oak tree? An oak tree has deep roots, and the storms of life come. And you're not defeated or destroyed. Why? Because you have deep roots. You're rooted, built up, and established. You're like an oak tree, not a tumbleweed. Because, again, you are stable in life. Look at number two, a hunger for growth leads to strength. Paul talks about that in this text as well. He said, uh, again, you have been rooted, built up, established in the faith, just as you were taught. The believers at Colossae had a hunger for God's truth. So Epaphras, but also Paul, investing in their lives, teaching them, are you hungry for the truth of God? Because a hunger for truth leads to growth and strength. As I think about our church, and here's again, as I walk around on Sunday morning and connect group classes, preschool, kids, students, adults, 
As I think about what we do Wednesday nights and other times during the week, we are serious about teaching the Word of God to people. We want to teach people how to be saved. We want to teach people how to grow in Christ. We want to teach people how to live the Christian life. We want to teach people how to be victorious in life. We are serious about teaching God's Word. But do you have a hunger and are you strong in Christ because He's the Lord of your life? I wonder how many people this morning in, in the sanctuary and those here watching, you look at your life and you would say you're spiritually, please understand, I didn't say physically, spiritually, you are spiritually overweight. And here's what I mean by that. You go from study after study after study. You eat, you eat, and you eat. You're studying the Bible, studying the Bible, but you never practice what you're studying. Now, the Bible is very clear. We should not just listen to the Word. We should be doers of the Word. There are many people who are spiritually overweight because they study and they study and they study, but they never practice what God is saying. The other side of that, by the way, how many people in this room and how many people are watching, you're not spiritually overweight, you're spiritually malnourished. Because your schedule is so busy, you don't have time for devotional life, so you're not in God's Word. You're not in a connect group, so you're not fellowshipping with other believers, listening to the truths of Scripture. Worship service and gathering with the church, that happens when you're in town, but so many times you're out of town, your schedule is very busy, you're simply malnourished because you're not feasting on the truth of God's Word. He wants us to be stable, but He also wants us to be strong. Look at number three, a grateful lifestyle praises the Savior. Paul goes on to say to the believers, he said, established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. As individual believers, but also for us as a church, when's the last time you just overflowed with thanksgiving to Almighty God? And here's what I mean by that. You didn't ask him for something? You didn't say, God, why didn't you come through for me? God, why did you bless them and not me? You're not saying any of those things. You're just coming before a holy, righteous God, and you're just saying to him, God, I just want to thank you for saving me. God, I want to thank you for growing me. God, I want to thank you for using me. God, I want to thank you for protecting me. And God, I want to thank you for blessing me. You're just overflowing with thanksgiving to the Savior. And Paul is saying to the believers at Colossae, the Christian life isn't about casual commitment. Jesus is to be the Lord of your life. You're to be stable, you're to be strong, and you're to overflow with thanksgiving to Jesus. As you look at your life again, let me ask you, are you awake or are you asleep? As you think about the Christian life and as you live your life, Is he the Lord of your life? And if he's the Lord of your life, are you overflowing with thanksgiving for his goodness in your life? The Christian life isn't about casual commitment. Number two, the Christian life is about right beliefs. As I think about, again, what Paul's teaching the believers here in Colossae, He's already talked to them about behavior, so walk in him. Your behavior should be faithful to Christ. It does make a difference how you and I live in the Christian life, in his eyes, but also in the eyes of other people. And then Paul's going to open it up to say, your behavior matters, but also your beliefs matter. 
Here's what he says. See to it that no one takes you captive by philosophy or empty deceit. When you see the word see to it, what he's saying there to the believers there, but also to you and me, be awake, not asleep. There's no time to go to sleep right now. I'm not talking about physical sleep, but spiritual sleep. You and I need to be awake, not asleep. Now, as you walk through this, as I think about what God is teaching here, he's going to ask a number of thoughts here, and I'm going to give you some questions that help us to frame what Paul is saying. It's complicated at times, it's deep at times, but I want to give you these four questions that will help us. What Paul is teaching the believers at Colossae about the Christian life is about right beliefs. Look at number one, who is this Jesus? We had a sermon a few weeks ago about that, but who is this Jesus? Paul makes it clear to the believers at Colossae that Jesus Christ is God. That's why he made that statement. He says, in him the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. When you've seen Jesus, you've seen the Father. But here's why this is important. This is why this, this sermon matters. Who is this Jesus? Because we're living in a day, for example, the Da Vinci Code said Jesus isn't God. There's another book out there called The Jesus Papers. And if you'll read that, which many people do, if you'll read that, here's what they're saying. Jesus Christ is not the Savior. He was not crucified on a cross. The cross was rigged. In fact, Jesus fled Jerusalem and fled to Egypt. That statement is out there. And there are going to be people also in our city, in our neighborhoods, Sometimes you're going to knock on your door and they're wearing blue suits, white shirts, and ties, maybe another group with different dress, but they want to have a spiritual conversation with you. It sounds appealing. It sounds right, but please understand, who are they and what do they believe? That's why it's critical, as Paul is saying to them, you've got to have the right behavior, you need to have the right beliefs. The Christian life is about the right beliefs. When those individuals knock on your door, and I love for them to knock on our door. Now, we were coming home one day, and I saw them up the street. This has been a number of years ago. I said, Andy, we've got to get home. They're coming to our house. I've got to be ready when they get to our door. I love for those folks to knock on our door. But here's what I want to encourage you. You want to write these two things down, by the way. When these groups knock on your door, all you have to do is ask them two questions, and it will show you what they believe and how different what you believe from what they believe. Now, here are the two questions. They're standing on your porch. I never invite them in. I can give you biblical reasons behind that, but I never invite them inside the house. So I'm always going to talk to them outside on the porch. But here are two questions after I've dealt with them for a little bit and kind of moved them on and, and kind of baited it just a little bit because I like to do that. And then here's when I dropped the hammer on these folks. I said, hey, by the way, I'm interested in spiritual things. You've got my attention today. But, but I'd like to ask you two questions. Can you answer these for me? Question number one, do you believe Jesus is fully God? Just ask them that question. You'll hear what they say. They will not say Jesus Christ is fully God. They will not go there. They'll talk about Jesus being a good person, prophet, philosopher. They'll go through a lot of other things, but they will not say Jesus is God. And I just point out to them, Jesus said, when you've seen me, you've seen the Father. I take them to John chapter 1. They want to debate that somewhat, but I'm okay with that. But, but again, is Jesus Christ fully God? They will not go there with you. Question number two, 
after we dealt with that one, I just ask him, I say, Here, here's another question I've got. Can you answer this for me? Is, do you believe Jesus Christ is the only way to be saved and to go to heaven? They will not go there with you either. They'll, they'll talk about Jesus, but here's what they will always do. It's Jesus plus something else. Oh, it's Jesus, but you've got to live a good life. You've got to do good works. You've got to be, have religious devotion. You've got to do all these other things. According to God's word, there's one way to be saved. It is Jesus Christ and him alone. Who is this Jesus? You need to make sure he is fully God. He is the only way to be saved. You've got to be prepared because why? The Christian life is about right beliefs. Question number one, who is this Jesus? Question number two, what does it take to be right with God? I mean, that's a huge question in our day. You talk to people at different places. Well, it's good works, it's a good life, it's religious deeds, it's church affiliation, it's so many other things. But Paul makes it clear to the believers in Colossae, then how, you were one time dead in your trespasses and your sins, but how have your sins been forgiven? He said, God made you alive with Christ. How did he do that? By nailing your sins to the cross. That's graphic language. I even went last night. I'm, I'm not a good carpenter. I thought about bringing a, a board and a nail up here and a hammer, but I thought if so, I'd need the emergency room before this thing was over because I just wouldn't be good at that. But I listened last night. I, I got it and turned it up a little bit, just a, a hammer hitting the, the head of a nail because Paul's using graphic language to the believers at Colossae to say what? All of your sins have been forgiven. Please celebrate that. It's not some of your sins. All of your sins have been forgiven. How they've been forgiven? By nailing it to the cross. Jesus died on Calvary's cross and he paid the debt for all of our sins. And just listening to that hammer hit that nail, nailing it to the cross. And they took nails and they pierced the hands and feet of the Lord Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross, the old rugged cross. He died for you and for me. That's how we're right with God. Folks, live a good life. Be faithful to him. But you and I are not saved by good works or religious deeds. We're saved by the amazing grace of God in Jesus Christ, Calvary's cross. Listen, he didn't flee to Egypt. He died on a cross called Golgotha. He died for us. That's how we're right with him. Look at question number three. Is it important to be baptized? Paul makes it clear to the believers here at Colossae about being baptized. Is that being baptized, you're buried with him in baptism, raised to walk in newness of life. Is baptism really that important? Wasn't that wonderful this morning that we celebrated someone from Nigeria knowing Christ, desiring to be obedient to baptism and be a part of our church family? Hallelujah for that. Praise the Lord for that. Only God could do that. And he talks here about them being baptized. Why is baptism that important? Uh, I got to spend a few minutes this morning with some second graders up in the baptistry talking about why baptism was important. And so I just gave, got a little practice in. I said, I'm going to talk a few areas of why baptism is important. I'm going to practice on you as second graders. So maybe I'll be ready when we get to big church today. And so here's what I said to them. Why is baptism important? And I just want to say to you in this room and those who are watching, if you know Christ and you've never been baptized, what are you waiting on? Why are you delaying? Why are you procrastinating? 
follow the leadership of Christ and be baptized in obedience to him. So well, why, what's important to baptism? And why is baptism, why does it matter? Here's why. Baptism doesn't save you. The Lord's Supper doesn't save you and me. Baptism doesn't save you and me. Only the Lord Jesus Christ saves you and me. Baptism is for believers in Christ only. Again, it's not going to make you right with God. Jesus modeled baptism for us. He'd never sinned. He didn't need to be saved. But baptism is for believers in Christ only. Baptism is by total immersion. When you think about that, you go completely underwater. You see that that is the New Testament mode of baptism is going completely underwater. Jesus did that in the Jordan River. That's why we don't sprinkle, we baptize by going completely underwater. Why? You and I can't live underwater. Water is death to you and me. We die to Christ. Uh, baptism is also a step of obedience. When you want to obey Christ, reading the Bible is obedience. Giving tithes and offerings is obedience. Sharing your faith obedience. But baptism is a step of obedience. Jesus, you have changed my life and I want to be faithful to follow you. And then the last thing I told them and I'd say to us is that baptism is a powerful testimony. You're standing before people in this room and even those who watch around the world and your testimony is, I am no longer the same. Jesus Christ, I'm a new creation in him. Jesus has changed my life. That's why you should be baptized. Be a witness for Christ. Let other people know I'm not ashamed or embarrassed about him. Jesus Christ, Savior and Lord of my life, he is everything to me. So I just want to challenge you today in this room or watching. We're going to give an invitation here in just in a few moments. And if you need to follow Christ in believer's baptism, Bible baptism, then we encourage you to step out and come forward. We're going to be here this morning. We'd love to celebrate with you. You're watching online. You've never given, been obedient to Christ in baptism. We'd love for you to respond to us at an email address on the platform you're watching. We would love to help you take that step being obedient to Christ as well. Baptism matters because Jesus modeled it for us. Question four, how does the church grow? Great question. We could come up with many different things about that, but Paul is saying to the believers here in Colossae again, he talked about the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through his joints and ligaments grows, and notice this next phrase, with a growth that is from God. That's the church growth I want to experience. I've seen churches grow because individuals, whether they're musically or preaching, got charismatic personalities and they can draw a crowd. But then something happens, those personalities, and all of a sudden, the church is in trouble. Folks, we want to experience growth at First Baptist Church. It's not based upon a personality. It's based on the glory of God and the growth that God wants us to have as a church. That's the growth we want to experience. How does the church grow? Well, God calls it to grow. This is the work of God. We sought to be faithful to him. We sought to be true to God's word. We sought to follow the leadership of the Holy Spirit. But the growth of our church, God did this. And we get to celebrate that. That's a growth that is from God that's going to last and brings honor unto him. So how does the church grow? Well, God does that. Look at number three. The Christian life is about God's warnings. Paul in, in Colossians 1 talks about warning them. 
And I think he's giving all these details in these teachings. Why? He wants them to know something, to be warned. You need to make sure. You need to pay attention to what's going on in front of you, what these false teachers are saying, the truths they're trying to influence you with. You need to make sure you are warned about what's coming your way. A part of gospel preaching is warning you and me. But here's what's coming our way. Here's what our preschoolers and kids and students are going to face. Let's warn them what's coming. And here's what I've been able to see in pastoral ministry. I've seen many marriages ultimately fall apart. And you say, why did that happen? Well, they ignored the warning signs. I mean, the warning signs were there. I mean, they had issues. They knew something wasn't right, but they ignored the warning signs. I've seen churches decline and ultimately die, lock the doors and say someone else can take it over. Why did that happen? They ignored the warning signs. They knew they had issues for years. Attendance was decreasing. Giving was down. People weren't being saved and baptized. No disciples were being made. They had issues, warnings for for years and sometimes even decades and did nothing about it. It's like somebody driving a car, and I've had people do this. They're driving a car. Something on the car is not functioning right. The warning light is on. Instead of taking it to the mechanic of the repair shop, they take a piece of duct tape and put over it and think it will go away if I put duct tape over it. I don't want to see it. So many times we do the same things. The warning is going off, and we just ignored the warning, and it cost us dearly. What is Paul saying to them? I want to give you these insights. Number one, guard against teachings that disagree with the Bible. You're going to have people who are going to try to influence you in in schools, education institutions, just in life. And they're going to try to influence you with teachings that are against the Bible. For example, they're going to say Jesus isn't enough. Oh, it's it's a good name. He's a great guy, but you need more than Jesus. They're going to tell you, just look at all the world religions and you just pick one. And they're going to tell you, if you follow them and their teaching and and their philosophy, then you're going to gain insights about Jesus and about the spiritual life. You're not going to get anywhere else. Guard against teachings that disagree with the Bible. Please understand, Jesus Christ is enough. Please understand, follow the leadership of Christ. It's not about religion, it's about a relationship with him. Also, if you want to know everything about Jesus and the spiritual life, read from Genesis to Revelation, the Word of God. It is complete. We don't need to add a single thing to the Word of God. Read the Word of God. Just guard against that. Number two, understand that feeling inadequate isn't always negative. Paul's writing about these false teachers, and again, it's not humility, it's pride in their lives. And there's so many times, and I heard someone say this this morning in my travels interacting with our church family, somebody that says they feel so inadequate about serving Christ. And I'd look at it and say, that's not a bad thing, that's a good thing. Folks, I come here every Sunday and think, Lord, am I adequate to do this? And the answer is no. Outside of the grace of God, I could never do this. And it's only through him. So when you look at inadequacy, that's not bad. Because here's what happens. Fill in these blanks for me just for a second. Draws you closer to God. When you're inadequate, you come before him and say, God, I can't do this. So I'm going to pray and read the word. I'm going to fast. I'm going to do these things. It draws you closer to God. Whatever draws you closer to God is a good thing in your life. It's a good thing. 
Look at the second one there. It calls you to rely on the Holy Spirit. Folks, you and I can't live the Christian life on our own. You and I need to be spirit-filled in the Christian life. We need to be spirit-led in the Christian life. Anything that causes us to rely on the power and presence of the indwelling Holy Spirit in our life, good thing in the Christian life. Number three, allows you to be fully used of God. Folks, I want to be fully used of God in life. Fully used of him. And so when I come to that and that phrase, I want to be fully used of God, here's what I'm saying. Lord, apart from you, I can do nothing. But Lord Jesus, because you saved me, you've drawn me close to you, the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of me, apart from you, I can do nothing. But Lord Jesus, with you, I can do all things. That's a blessed place to be in life. So just because you feel inadequate, doesn't, that's not a negative thing. You just draw near to God, rely on the Holy Spirit, and just let him fully use you for his glory. That's what Paul's teaching the believers at Colossae to you and me here on a Sunday morning. Number three, believe there's only one worthy of worship. Here's how I would finish this. As Paul is writing about these false teachers, they're coming and they're saying to them, it's about asceticism and worship of angels. Think, what in the world does that mean? It's just worship of self or worship of angels. We don't worship self. We don't worship angels. We worship the Lord. He's the one worthy of worship. Here's what I'd say to you. Make sure, church, myself as an individual believer, let's not worship the Jesus of this culture. Understand the statement. Let's not worship the Jesus of this culture. Let's worship the Jesus of this Bible. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Perfect, sinless, Son of God who died on Calvary's cross, buried in a tomb, raised on the third day, ascended back to the Father. One day is coming again. Let's worship him. He's worthy. I want us to bow our heads together today. and Again, in the room and those who are watching online, I just want to encourage you. And I've been praying even this week, as I know many of you have. God, do something today that we would have to say, thank you for letting us be a part of it. But God, you did that. You did that. And so if you need to give your life to Jesus, again, he's the only way to be saved. We encourage you to obey him today. Baptism, if you know Christ but you've never been baptized, obey him today. Church membership, church affiliation, it is important to gather with a group of believers, have accountability, make a commitment. Why not walk down an aisle today if you need to be a part of this church family? Today's the day. Christian ministry, the, the Lord's calling you to be involved in ministry. You may not know every detail of that, but the Lord's calling you to be involved in ministry. Obey him today. We'd love to pray with you and celebrate with you. And then just Christian life. Are you awake or are you asleep? How do you need to serve him? Again, folks, we need qualified, uh, properly screened people to be serving in preschool kids and students. We need to be investing in this next generation. 
How does he want to use you? Our leaders would love to have a discussion with you and see how the Lord leads in that. Are you awake or are you asleep? And then same invitation for those who are watching online. Give your life to Christ. Follow him in baptism. Connect with our church in a deeper way. Calling you to ministry or to Christian life issues. You respond to us as you see an email address or a platform you're on. And we'd love to come alongside you and help you. Are you awake or are you asleep? It's not a time to be asleep. Time to be awake. So, Father, today as believers, but as a church, Lord, let us be awake, not asleep. Father, for those who need to give their lives to the Lord Jesus, take a step of obedience in baptism or church connection, surrender to the gospel ministry or just some other Christian life issue, or say, here's my life, God, use me because you are Savior, you are my best friend, but you're the Lord of my life. So I follow you. Lord, let decisions be made, and I pray today again. We're leaving the results to you, but this will be a day we'd say only God did that today. We got to be a part of it, but it's for his glory. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and it's all possible because of your amazing grace. Thank you, Lord Jesus, and we pray this in your name. Amen.